Grab your Bible and open to Matthew 6, where you'll find the Lord's Prayer. And uh, you might notice we have a Christmas tree up here next to me. And uh, you might think that's weird because uh, I tend to ignore holidays when I preach. <laughs> you might have noticed that tendency. So I'm just going to ignore the Christmas tree up here and say, it's, you know, we're just not, not going to talk about Christmas. What are you talking about? Um, you know, and that, that tendency, for good or for bad, you know, it's, it's what I happen to do. And I don't really have a lot of qualms about it when it comes to things like Labor Day or Mother's Day, those sorts of things. Uh, but Christmas is an important holiday. And so rest assured, on uh, December 24th, I will give some sort of Christmas sermon. Okay, so we're going to take a break. So if you're worried, you're going to invite your family to church on Christmas. And they're not going to hear about Jesus in the manger. Uh, we'll, we'll hit that, okay? Uh, but I also want you to see that, that learning how to pray is really related to Christmas. It's very appropriate for us to be learning how to pray at Christmas time. Because uh, the wonder of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. That, that's what happened. God became one of us. God came to be with us. God did not stay distant from us, but he became uh, one of us in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So Christmas is all about God pursuing relationship with us, about him entering into our world so that we could be with him. And so it would be really weird and wrong for us to respond to that by ignoring him. Right? So it would be like if you had relatives that traveled across the country to celebrate the holidays with you, and then you spent the whole time sitting there looking at your phone, and you didn't talk to them, and you didn't hang out with them. Okay? That's what it's like for, for God to become a man, for Emmanuel to happen, for Jesus to pursue us you know, through his birth and life and death and resurrection, and then for us to just ignore him as if there's no ongoing relationship. And so prayer, prayer is a natural outgrowth of Christmas, right? And, and what I'm trying to do here is help you not to waste Christmas, but to have an ongoing relationship with the God who has taken such great lengths to have a relationship with you. So we want to learn how to pray. And I have to tell you, just my own personal testimony, I've, I've really benefited from this study. I feel like God is teaching me to pray. Just that simple practice every day of, of saying, Lord, teach me to pray. I think God is answering that prayer for me. I hope he's doing that for you. The, the practice plans have really helped me. Uh, it's been really good. You know, I'd say my prayer life before this series was faithful but dry. Um, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I, I knew prayer was important and I was doing it regularly, uh, but it was very duty-based. But just looking at this prayer again and reminding myself uh, through Scripture that, that God is real, that, that prayer is a supernatural encounter with God, and that this God that I'm talking with is my Father who loves me, and, and, and just reorienting my prayer life through the lens of the Lord's Prayer has given me fresh connection with God, um, more real conversation with God. And it's, it also seems like there's more answers to prayer. I think I'm noticing more. I think God's doing more. I know in my own life, I'm feeling more joy. I'm feeling more connection with him. So I, I just encourage you to, to do the work. You know, the, the, the practice is so important. It's not enough just to hear about prayer, but to actually pray and, and to just do the rhythms of daily prayer and asking God to teach you to pray, he will do it. He is doing it. And I know it's not just me. I've heard from others too. God is doing the work in your life. And if you're like, oh, wait, I, I've, it's too late. I, I haven't started yet. I'm, I'm going to miss it all. You know what? I'm going so slowly. You've got plenty of time, right? You can start now and you can still uh, get plenty of practice in. So I'd encourage you to, to not uh, ignore this opportunity. This is life-changing stuff. 
Uh, now, the phrase we're going to look at today is, um, your kingdom come. It's the second petition in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we're going to read the whole thing together and then unpack this phrase. So, the Lord's Prayer goes like this. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So last week we saw that the first three requests here, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done, hang together, and they're all modified by this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. So we are asking, the first thing we're asking, before we even get to requests for ourselves uh, and the things that are often at the beginning of our prayers, uh, Jesus says, ask for these things that are on God's heart. Ask for his name to be hallowed, for his name to be glorified, uh, as it is in heaven, so on earth. Ask for his kingdom to come here on earth as it already is in heaven. Ask for his will to be done here as it is in heaven. So today we're going to look at that middle one and try to understand what does it mean for God's kingdom to come on earth as it already is in heaven? What is that, uh, what is that request? And to do that, I want to, uh, to do three things. So first, I want to define the kingdom of God. And then I want to describe the kingdom of God. So the definition is going to be relatively quick. Description will take longer. And then wrap up with some ideas for how to pray for the kingdom of God. So what does that really look like when we pray? First, definition. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God. Okay? So it means it's, it's his reign. It's the fact that God is the one who's ruling. Uh, and before I get too far, I just want to clear up some, something that uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to use the phraseology of kingdom of God. Uh, now, lots of time in Matthew, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, but it's the same thing, okay? And you can see that if you compare verses in Matthew with verses in Mark and Luke. There's places where Mark and Luke say kingdom of God, and it's identical in Matthew, and he says kingdom of heaven. So just so you're not confused, okay? So I'm just going to use kingdom of God today. And what is this kingdom? It is the reign of God. What I mean by that is that the kingdom of God isn't a place. It's not a, 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 a geographic location where you can visit, not like the United Kingdom, right? You've got borders, you've got territory. That's not that kind of kingdom. The kingdom of God is his rule, his reign, his power in action. So the main idea of the kingdom of God is not a location, but the person who is king. It's the fact that God is king. It's the kingship of God, his rule, his reign. It's similar to how we in our culture use the word administration to talk about uh, our presidents Right? So we, when we talk about who's in charge, we refer to their administration, right? like the Trump administration or the Obama administration. Uh, now, when we say that, we're not talking about different places, right? Uh, the Trump administration and the Obama administration rule over the exact same geographic area, exact same boundaries, exact same locations, but they're very different administrations because the person in charge is very different. Okay, and that's what we're talking about. The kingdom of God is not about a place. It's about who is ruling. We're talking about who's in charge. Is it Satan? Is Satan the king, the king of this world? Or are we under the kingdom of God? Okay, same locations, but very different experience with very different rulers. The kingdom of God is the, place, is, is the reign of God. It's being under his authority. And when Jesus showed up on earth and began his ministry... His main announcement was that God is king. So in Matthew 4, if you just flip a chapter or two back from the Lord's Prayer, 
In Matthew 4, verse 17, it, it says, here's, as Jesus started his ministry, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's making an announcement. He's saying, God is king. God is king. God is here in the person, in, in me, in the person of Jesus. God is king. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new administration in town. He's announcing this good news. It's, it's similar to announcements that reporters made recently about the country of Zimbabwe. I don't know if you follow Zimbabwe. I, I do because I've got some friends who are ministering in that country. Uh, but Zimbabwe was ruled for at least the last 30 years by a guy named Robert Mugabe. And he was a bad guy, okay? And he had become this dictator, and he was doing all sorts of things to stay in power and just wrecking the country. And so recently, the army staged a coup, and they took over. They kicked him out, and they put another guy in. His name is Emerson Manangagwa. Manangagwa. I had to practice that one. Uh, we'll just call him Emerson, right? How about that? It's good. Um, so, so Mugabe gets kicked out. Emerson gets put in. And the people there are hoping cautiously that maybe he'll be a little bit better. Right? So the news that's coming out, the announcement, the good news, the gospel in, this, in that sense, coming out of Zimbabwe is the old guy is out, the new guy is in. There's someone new in charge. A new kingdom, a new administration has begun. And that's what Jesus is announcing as he shows up and begins his ministry. He says, God is beginning to reign. There's a new administration in town. The kingdom of Satan is on its way out. Uh, Jesus is, is here to mount a coup, to overthrow the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of God, God being in charge, is right around the corner. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's coming. It's, it's, it's here. So that's the kingdom of God defined. It's the reign of God. But it's probably more helpful to have it described. What does that mean? What's it like? And so I'm going to describe it. And I warn you, this is a huge topic. Okay, a huge topic. Jesus teaches all about this in the Gospels. And so there's a lot that can be said. I'm just going to hit three things. Um, so what is the kingdom of God? So the first thing, the first way to describe it, the kingdom of God is utopia. It's utopia. It's the perfect world. The kingdom of God, as Jesus describes it, is the world the way it's supposed to be. So if you flip, again, we're going to try to stay in Matthew, but if you flip to Matthew 13, you see two parables that Jesus tells about this kingdom. What is life like in the world where God rules? In Matthew 13, verse 44, he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what's the common idea in both of these stories? It's that there's, there's a guy who found something of incredible value, and it was worth so much that he sold everything to be able to get that. It was worth more than anything in the world. That's the point, right? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is better than anything else in the world. It's the perfect world. The reign of God, living under the authority of God, the kingship of God, is better than anything else you could ever imagine. It's worth selling everything you have to have a chance to live under that rule. Now, why? Why would someone do that? Why is that amazing? What makes the kingdom of God so good? 
Well, that's where we need to look at the Sermon on the Mount. So again, I'm, I'm making you move a little bit in, in Matthew, but go back to Matthew chapter 5. Okay, so, so Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the most complete description by Jesus of what life in God's kingdom looks like. And we spent most of 2015 as a church studying this together. But, but when Jesus went around proclaiming the kingdom of God and saying the kingdom of God is here, this is what he was saying. He was describing this life lived under the reign of God, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So this is Jesus' description of life in the kingdom. And let me refresh you now on, on what this kingdom is like, because it's, it's perfect. And as I, as I kind of go through this, this quick overview of the Sermon on the Mount, ask yourself, wouldn't I want to live in a world like this? Wouldn't I give up everything to live in a world like this? So Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What's he saying? He's saying in the kingdom of God, not only do people not murder... They don't insult one another. They, 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 they value one another. They treat one another with respect. He's saying, the kingdom of God, we don't murder and we don't hate. Matthew 5, 21, he says, you heard it was said you shall not commit adultery. Is verse 27. And then verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. So saying in the kingdom of God, nobody cheats on their spouses but even more than that, in the kingdom of God, everyone is absolutely faithful in their thought life, and everyone treats one another with respect. No one objectifies another person. No one uh, uses another person for their body or for pleasure. It's, it's, it's the way things are supposed to be. And just valuing one another as human beings. Matthew 5, 31, he says, uh, It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he's saying in the kingdom of God, marriage vows are kept. Marriage vows are kept. You never have to worry that your spouse is going to leave you just because they got tired of you or because they don't love you anymore or you grew apart. Matthew 5, 33, Jesus teaches about honesty. He says, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn but I say, do you do not take an oath at all? And then verse 37 says, let, 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 you say, sorry, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So he's saying in the kingdom of God, nobody, nobody lies, nobody breaks their promises, but more than that, you don't even need the promise because you just say what's true. You don't need contracts. You don't need enforcement mechanisms. You just say what you're going to do and you do it. Or you say you're not going to do it and you don't do it. That's just truthful speaking. That's life under God's reign. Matthew 5, 38, he says, You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So in the kingdom of God, no one is trapped in a cycle of violence. Where you say, well, he hit me first, and so I have to hit back harder. And then I have to hit back harder, and then I have to hit back harder. But it's broken, that cycle of violence is broken, as, as those who are done evil against, don't return evil for evil, but return love. That's life in God's kingdom. Verse 43, he said, you've heard it was said, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
So in the kingdom of God, there's no room for hatred for anyone. Under God's reign, it's love even for your enemies. In chapter 6, in this section, Jesus begins to talk about uh, religion and hypocritical, hypocritical religion, how people use their giving to the needy or their prayers out loud or their public fasting and showing how much they're suffering for God uh, to, to bolster their public image, even though inside they have no relationship with God. He says, in the kingdom of God, religion is real. It's a relationship with God. You're not doing things to impress other people. You're just doing it because you love them and because you love the Lord. That's, that's the kingdom of God. No hypocrisy in religion. Verse 19, he says in chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the kingdom of heaven, no one is a slave to money. No one serves their greed. No one one does terrible things to get more money for themselves at the expense of others, but it's love for God, serving Him, and using money for good, not being used by money. Verse 25, he gives the beginning of this amazing passage about anxiety and says, in the kingdom of God, you don't have to worry about what you eat or drink or where it's going to come from because God takes care of you. Chapter 7, verse 1, says, judge not that you may not be judged. The kingdom of God is a judgment-free zone. It's a place where you don't condemn others for their failings. Instead, you look at yourself, you take the log out of your own eye, and then you, spirit-filled, try to help others to, to be corrected in their issues. It's summed up in chapter 7, verse 12, with the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's, that's a snapshot of life in the kingdom. Wouldn't you want to live there? To live in a place where everybody lives by the golden rule? Where there's no violence, there's no hatred, there's no infidelity, there's no hypocrisy, there's no judgment, there's no lying, there's no anxiety, there's just love. That's God's kingdom. That's what it's like to live under His reign. I would give anything to have that. That is the treasure in the field. That is the pearl of great price. Sell everything to live under that rule and that reign. That is a perfect king. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's it's the perfect world. It's utopia. How do we get there? Well, that's the second description. The kingdom of God is entered by repentance and faith. So I'm going to jump out of Matthew and look at Mark 1.15. Jesus puts it this way in Mark. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. So he says, uh, uh, here's, here's God's kingdom. Perfect, amazing, totally different way of doing life, totally better way of doing life. If you want to be in it, here's what you do. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, repent. Admit you were following the wrong king. You were following the devil. You were going the wrong way. Repent of that and believe the good news. Believe this way. Follow this king. To go back to the example from Zimbabwe, Uh, After 30 years of running the government, I'm sure that the old guy, Robert Mugabe, had a lot of minions, not little yellow guys, but henchmen, right? Folks that would do whatever he wanted, and he would take care of them and provide for them, and I'm sure there were a number of shady things that went on in that administration. 
So let's say you're one of those. You're one of his minions. And you hear the news that he has been overthrown by the military, and they're installing a new guy, Emerson. Emerson Managagua. Now let's say, and I'm making this part up, but let's say there's a blanket amnesty offered by the new guy. And he says, whatever you did under the old administration, I don't care. All you have to do is repent, you know, stop following him, start following me, and I will welcome you into my kingdom. I will hold none of that against you, and you can be just as much a part of this government as you were of the last. Okay. So for the sake of illustration, I'm making that up. That's not happening in Zimbabwe. But let's say that did. All right. What would you have to do as that henchman to take advantage of that offer? You have to repent and believe the good news, right? Repent. Say, I'm no longer a follower of Robert Mugabe. I'm no longer doing that. I'm not listening to him. I'm not going his way. I am now a follower of Emerson and Monongagwa. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to have to be in his administration. You believe the good news. You believe that the offer of amnesty is real. I mean, you, you may be afraid if I come here and they give this amnesty, they're really just going to arrest me and throw me in jail. You got to believe that it's real. You got to accept that good news. And you show up there and they forgive you and they accept you and they welcome you in. You have all the benefits of the new government that you had in the last. Okay, that's a picture of what it means to believe this message of Jesus. When you become a Christian, you repent and believe the good news. You believe that there's a new king, Jesus. And you say, I'm not going to follow the devil anymore. We were the minions of the devil, right? That's what we were. We were followers of Satan. We didn't intentionally mean it. Probably, I don't think any of us were like intentional out-and-out -out Satanists, right? But functionally, we were. We were following the ways of the devil. We were living under his kingdom, doing his will. And Jesus showed up. He says, there's a new king in town. And he invites us to follow him. And we don't have to do anything to make up for our past sins. We just have to believe there's this amnesty. If you come to him, you can be forgiven and you'll be welcomed into his kingdom freely. That's how you get in. To think of it a slightly different way, if the kingdom of God were a physical territory with borders, the immigration policy of that kingdom would be very simple. You show up at the border and they say, do you renounce your old citizenship? You say yes, and they say, come in. That's it. That's all you have to do. There's no test you have to pass to prove that you're worthy, that you're valid, uh, you know, that, that you're, you're, you're going to be a good citizen, and you're going you're gonna to really be a benefit for us. No, there's none of that. You want to come in? Do you renounce your old citizenship? All right, you're in. That's the immigration policy of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe the good news. You get in the picture of this kingdom. I'm trying to describe it for you. Just explain how it's described in Scripture. It's this amazing place, and it's not really a place. It's this amazing experience of living under the reign of God where God is king. And people live you know, following his commands and doing what he wants and loving one another. And, and anybody can get in freely. You just repent. You just leave behind the old king and you come follow the new king and you're in. There's one last thing that we have to know. I'm sure you've been thinking it already. Um, where is it? Because I'm not seeing it. If this is the perfect place and you can get in, I want to get in, but I've never seen this place. So the third thing we have to know about the kingdom is that it starts small, but eventually takes over the world. It starts small, but it eventually takes over the world. So 
there is a disconnect, admittedly, between how the kingdom of God sounds when we read about Jesus describing it, and we're talking about it here. It sounds so amazing. Like, where is this place? It literally sounds like heaven on earth. That's what we're looking for, right? The kingdom of God on earth. Where is it? Is it here somewhere? We just haven't found it? Is it off Shangri-La someplace? Or is this just a dream, some ideal that we strive for but will never see? The answer is a little bit of both. It is here. The kingdom of God is really here. Jesus did say, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's begun. The king is here. But it's not here fully. And that's exactly why he tells us to pray, that the kingdom of God would come. Because it's here. It's here in seed form. It's here small. It's not here completely. But our prayer is that it would come and come fully. If you look back again to Matthew 13, these parables of the kingdom, you see Jesus describing it. Matthew 13, 31. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So again, what's the common idea in these two parables? The kingdom of God is a small thing that starts small but grows until it takes over the whole. So it's a small seed. It's a mustard seed. Tiniest seed. But when it's fully grown, it's the biggest plant. Just a little bit of yeast in, in, in all of this dough. Just a tiny bit of yeast. But it grows and it takes over the whole thing. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that, it starts small, almost imperceptible. Just a few people over here living under the reign and rule of God, just trying to love one another with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that little community of people living under the reign of God multiplies. And it moves from person to person and household to household and neighborhood to neighborhood until eventually it takes over the world. The kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God is a grassroots movement. We think about kingdoms and power structures very top down. We think, oh, what's the problem? The problem is the person in charge. And if we just change the person in charge, we will achieve the results that we want. Get that old administration out, put the new one in. It doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God is a grassroots movement. It's an organic movement. It's a bottom-up change. As one by one, people believe the gospel. And people come under the kingship of Jesus individually. And they begin to live, the life, uh, live life his way, under his rule. And slowly, over time, bit by bit, that expands around the world and takes over the earth. That's how the kingdom comes. It's not as fast as just electing a new leader, but it's far more effective. Because Jesus says it starts small, but takes over the world. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for the kingdom of God to move from being a mustard seed to being a tree. When we pray, may your kingdom come, we're praying, may the yeast multiply through the whole loaf. May you increase your reign on this earth. It's already here in small pockets. This, this, this thing right here that we're doing, this is an outpost of the kingdom. 
Okay? It's you and me living under the reign of Jesus and seeking to live our lives as followers of Christ, loving one another, you know, obeying his commands, being these kind of people that turn the other cheek and, 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 and don't commit adultery, speak the truth. And as we live that way, we impact others and the kingdom comes. And praise the Lord, we're not the only group. But that's what Jesus tells us to pray for, that his kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And this is such a rich vein to mine as you begin to pray. Okay, this, just, this, this is where you get to pray for everything that's wrong with the world. Okay, this is the part in the Lord's Prayer where you finally get to talk about all the things that are bugging you about the world, about yourself, about other people, all these things where it's like, oh, God, I know that you're in charge in a sovereign sense, but you're really not exercising your authority in the way I'd like to see it. And these people are not submitting to you in the way that I would like them to, and the world is just so broken and messed up. What do you say when you watch the news and you see a mass shooting? You say, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we pray this? I'm going to give you three, uh, again, I can only count to three apparently. I'm going to give you three, um, three ways to pray this, okay? First, pray it for yourself. Pray it for yourself. Um, you get into the kingdom by repenting and believing the gospel. It's a free gift. But that does not mean that as soon as you enter the kingdom, you are a model citizen. We all have a lot of growing to do. We confess that Jesus is our king, that we're living under the lordship of God, and yet in our lives, so many ways, we don't. We rebel, okay? And so to pray for God's kingdom to come, you can pray for yourself. You can pray that in more and more ways, you would hand over your own life to the king and begin to live in obedience to him. You're trying to, to pray, God, take this mustard seed of the kingdom that's in me. I've given you my life. I, I really want to follow you, but I'm not obeying completely. You say, Lord, may your kingdom come. May that expand. May you have more authority in my life. So you, you pray this by, by naming some of these things. You look at your life and you say, okay, what are some of these sins? Go ahead and look at the Sermon on the Mount again, right? I'm sure when I was reading it, you were sitting there thinking, mm, don't do that. <laughs> Need some growth in that area. Be nice if I did that. Okay, those are the places where you name that to God and you say, Lord, I'm still angry. I still lust. I just lied the other day and I feel terrible about it. God, may your kingdom come in that area. Change me. Make me more like you. You pray for yourself. And you pray for others. It's the second one. You pray for others. It's easy to see the faults in other people. It's easy to know how to fix them. You look at somebody else and you say, well, you're doing that wrong. You should stop it. It works, right? That's, that's how they taught me to counsel in seminary. No, they didn't. No, but we do that, right? We look at other people and we see their sins. We see their flaws. We see where the kingdom of God has not come in their lives yet. And we say, you know what? You're really failing there. You should change that. And if that doesn't work, then we kind of go in one of two directions. We either uh, can kind of go into nagging mode Right? Well, the first time didn't work, but maybe the hundredth time will. I'll keep telling you you're not doing it. I'll keep telling you you're not doing it. Maybe that'll change you. Or you can escalate the volume and you can say, well, maybe if I said it louder, maybe then it would work. Okay, that's how we try to change people. But Jesus says, hey, have you thought about prayer? Thought about praying for the person? He invites us to pray. He invites us to see the sins and the faults in other people 
And instead of just telling them about it and beating them up for it, nagging them to death or yelling at them or trying to manipulate them in some way to change, he says, pray. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Father, I see. And it's, it's a real thing. This person has, is not living in obedience to you. And it's hurting their lives. It's hurting other people. And I would love for them to change. And I've tried to tell them. And it's not working. Oh, Father, would your kingdom come? Could you do something? May your kingdom come in their lives. Father, please change my friend's heart so that they become more considerate and they're not late all the time. They don't listen to me when I tell them to stop being late. But it's a problem, and it's, it's, it's a difficulty. And Lord, I pray that you just change that. Father, please change my child's heart to make them more responsible so that they would put their things away. I tell them to put their things away. I discipline them when they don't put their things away, but they don't put their things away. Father, would your kingdom come in their heart to make them more responsible that they would want to do that? Father, please give my spouse patience instead of anger. I tell them to stop yelling. I tell them to have more patience. It's not working. May your kingdom come in their lives. So pray for others. And pray for the world. It's a big world and there's a lot of evil. There are lots and lots of people who are still not living under the kingdom of God. They're living under the kingdom of the devil and the devil is having a field day. All this evil, racism, Violence, sexual abuse, abortion, wars, genocide, the list goes on. And even stuff that doesn't make the big headlines, but it's big in your life. The boss at work that is just treating you terribly. The bullying you're experiencing at school. What do you do about those things? Our knee-jerk reaction as a culture were very legislative. We think, oh, if we just passed a different law, that would solve the problem. Uh, if we just got a better HR policy or got the school administration to change what, how they're acting, then that would fix the issue. And I'm not saying necessarily that those things are completely ineffective. But Jesus says, have you considered prayer? Have you started with prayer? Father, may your kingdom come. Slow down. Before you rush off to pass a bunch of laws or get upset about uh, the way things are, Pray. Ask God to bring his kingdom to bear on this issue that here in our world, his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is a supernatural kingdom. It's a kingdom that comes individually in human hearts one at a time as they encounter the good news of Jesus and repent of their sin. And laws can't do that. Laws can never do that. You cannot legislate someone into the kingdom. But God does it all the time. And so we pray. We pray, our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's his kingdom, it's his work, and he can only do it. But we can pray. And so we want to pray. And he responds to our prayers. So let's pray for God's kingdom this week. You have the practice plan in your outline. Let me go over it with you. We want to learn to pray for God's kingdom. So what do you do? Once a day, set your timer for seven minutes. Say, Lord, teach me to pray. Read the Lord's Prayer. And then pray for these three areas. Pray for yourself. 
Identify an area in your life where you're not obeying God as king. Just start with one. Don't go overboard. But pray and ask him, may your kingdom come in me. Change me. Pray for another person. Identify someone, an area in their life where they're not obeying God as king and pray and ask him to change them. And I would just add this as well. Try not saying anything to them about it for the week, okay? Just try that. Try replacing your nagging or your yelling or whatever you do with prayer. Pray for that. And then pray for the world. Ask God to fix a specific problem in the world. Pick one. It's on your heart. Whatever it is. There's a lot. But pick one and pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Pray for the world. And as you have time, talk to God about whatever else is on your heart. Sit there in silence until the timer's done. But pray for his kingdom. Let's do that now. Father, this prayer is so near and dear to my heart. I see so many ways in my own life, in others, in our world where we are not living in obedience to you. It's foolish because your kingdom is perfect. Oh, that we would, that your kingdom would come in our hearts, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our country, in the world. And, and Father, we know that it, the end game is the return of Christ. And we long for that. So we do say, come, Lord Jesus. I mean, if you want to say, hey, we, we've done it. Mission accomplished. It's over. We welcome that. Come right now, and we will enjoy the kingdom forever. But until that day, oh, Lord, help the mustard seed to grow. May the yeast spread. May we influence others for Christ, even as you change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.